The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of The Hamlet Podcast with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. Previous special episodes have talked about various interpreters of Hamlet, of various issues that are worth discussing in how a production might approach this play. We've looked at Hamlet in opera, and soon we'll consider Hamlet on screen. Interestingly, I've had quite a few requests over the years for episodes to discuss various particular actors who have played Hamlet, some of the most famous English-speaking actors in the world. Something made me hold off doing any single episode dedicated to a single actor, at least single actors who are still alive. How on earth could one choose who would fit within the confines of these extra episodes, bearing in mind that I put a cap of 20 of them? one for each scene of the play itself. So, rather than any particular star, actor, current or recent, this episode seeks to examine the playing of Hamlet on stage, acting the role. Other bonus episodes have paid homage to some of the greats, Richard Burbage, for whom the part was written, Sarah Bernhardt, among its most famous female interpreters, and of course David Garrick, one of the most famous actors of all time. Over half of these bonus episodes will have been dedicated to actors. Some of them also directors, of course. If you don't have a central actor, you can't really do a production of this play, of all plays. It's no wonder that productions of it so often revolve around a given performer, someone whose talent and star power are enough to generate heat, form and pressure. Obviously, a good few of our bonus episodes have talked about directors, but the entirety of this project, the Hamlet podcast, all four and a bit years of it, are kind of proof of how far a director can go when talking about this play without a company of actors. In Shakespeare's theatre, there was no director. It was an actor-led medium, and maybe this wasn't a bad thing. We all have horror stories of what happens when directors lose the run of themselves. And indeed, I'd love to hear from you about the strangest or the most provocative directorial choices you've seen or heard of for this play. I always joke with my own directing students about whether it's necessary or not to set Hamlet on the moon or inside an orange or things like that. Sometimes, I will agree, it is essential. But this probably makes things all the harder for the actors in the show. One of the things that fascinated me most about the play is how much it concerns itself with acting, with seeming, with the difference between performing, acting, doing and pretending. It's no accident that the centre of the piece revolves around a group of actors and a performance. This is Shakespeare's gleeful love letter to his own craft, his advertisement for how powerful actors and plays can be. So of course it's a play that needs a star actor. There are so many strong characters and famous scenes and integral moments, it all but demands a fascinating performer who can engage us and keep us infused and interested throughout what is usually a rather long evening at the theatre. No wonder, then, that this leading actor is usually a famous one, and very often one whose name alone will sell some tickets. In the last ten years or so, in London alone, there have been hamlets by Jude Law, Andrew Scott, Michael Sheen, David Tennant, Rory Kinnear, Papa Essiedu, Cush Jumbo and Benedict Cumberbatch, whose production broke all kinds of records for the speed with which tickets sold out. Long before rehearsals began, let it be noted. Every generation has its crop of hamlets, 
if you scroll back through the archives of the National Theatre or the Royal Shakespeare Company, you'll see a slew of familiar, if rather younger, faces, all of whom have played Hamlet and gone on to other things. It's a coveted milestone in any serious actor's career, since who on earth wouldn't want to play him? The worry, of course, is the huge pressure that comes with accepting this role. There's always the noise in the background, the worry that one's work must be equal to the enormity of this part, its history and its fame. There isn't even any room for an actor to stumble in this play, since, God forbid, if he should stumble on his lines, audiences around the world know the text so well that they might be liable to feed him the line. I know that I've used a male pronoun for the actor here. Goodness knows there's a brilliant history of women playing the part, and indeed, there's even a bonus episode dedicated to that excellent tradition. The brilliant Irish actor Marty Ray, who I was lucky enough to see play Hamlet in two separate productions, has a terrific story about this fear of an audience's over-familiarity with the text. I think I might have told this story in an earlier episode, but it's so good it's worth repeating as a lesson in what's so exciting about live theatre. Early in his first run playing the part, Marty was downstage, very close to the audience where he was positioned to deliver that most famous of soliloquies. He began, to be or not to be, and before he got any further, a wag in the Wexford audience droned, that is the question. Over-familiarity indeed. But Marty chose to answer him, and conclude the line himself as a response. He said, that is the question. And a whole audience of students realised that the actors on stage could hear them and were in the room with them. And by all accounts, the energy in the room changed entirely in that moment. Nobody would ever rehearse the line that way, since you can't guarantee that an audience will join in with you. But in that moment, it worked brilliantly. The first time I ever saw Hamlet was when I was at university. I hadn't studied the play at school, and while even then I fancied myself as a fan of Shakespeare, I hadn't actually ever read Hamlet. Never seen it, never read it. I knew a good few of the more famous lines and speeches, as seemingly everybody does, but honestly I hadn't really joined the dots. I'd had a year of studying theatre academically at Trinity, and at no point had anyone suggested that we should read this play. I hate to admit this, but I did another three years there, and never did Hamlet seem like an important text for this degree in drama. I think I've caught up, mind you. I got the ticket last minute from a friend. It was all quite rushed, and as a result, I didn't even have time to read up on the play before I saw it. I approached the whole thing with no preconceptions, and not much knowledge either. This production starred Simon Russell Beale, who was from the National Theatre in London, and he was about 40 at the time. He was a very smart, earnest and relatable Hamlet, and I remember a great deal of the production to this day. I wonder if it's a case of never forgetting your first, but certainly this was a clear, sophisticated production, free of any cobwebs or stuffy delivery. Perhaps because it was so assured and elegantly staged, I didn't leave the theatre filled with any desire to go away and spend any more time with this play, and I left it alone for at least another ten years before working on it at grad school. I did read it before I went to see the English-language production by Nina Gawa in 2004. Little did I know then just how much time I'd spend thinking about Nina Gawa and Hamlet thereafter. Simon Russell Beale has had consistent success playing against type in Shakespeare. 
People do somersaults trying to find elegant ways of describing his figure or his height or his appearance as being non-traditional for Ariel or for Richard II and certainly for Hamlet. But what they are overlooking in this is the essential. He's a brilliant actor and one that can bring a company along with him. If you have a chance to see him in anything, from King Lear to the Lehman trilogy, which closed on Broadway just last night, do not miss it. If you look at the list of those who have played this role, there's always a glow of something very special about them. I wish Martin Freeman had at some point played the part, since then I could attempt some kind of Sherlock-Shakespeare crossover, but even as it is, Benedict Cumberbatch and our own Andrew Scott have had considerable success in the role in recent years. Cumberbatch starred in a huge production at the Barbican, directed by the superb Lindsay Turner and broadcast to cinemas all over the world. Andrew Scott starred in a production at the Almeida that was significantly more contemporary, in line with director Robert Icke's desire to have this mirror up to nature reflect a contemporary audience's world and experience. Likewise, David Tennant's production at the Royal Shakespeare Company combined a lot of security and surveillance, echoing our world in which Big Brother is almost always watching. Outside the English-speaking world, of course, Hamlet is still a major landmark piece of literature, but in countries from Russia and Poland to China, Hamlet appears as a figure standing up against oppression and paranoid state control. What can prove very interesting is that productions of the play are as likely to be synonymous with their star as with their director. Obviously, we will talk about productions by Peter Brook and Nina Gawa, but just as often, it's Jude Law's Hamlet, or Maxine Peake's Hamlet, or Michael Sheen's. Directors have made fascinating casting decisions on occasion. For instance, Trevor Nunn cast Ben Wishaw at the Old Vic when the latter was only 23. Between that and Simon Russell Beale at 40, we might assume that these are the two age limits for an actor in a professional production, somewhere between those two goalposts. But then, Alan Rickman was in his late 40s when he played the Dane at the Riverside Studios, and indeed, smashing all received expectations, Sir Ian McKellen played the part last year in Richmond at the ripe old age of 82, some 50 years after he had last played the Prince. Certainly it proves that there is room for anyone to play the part, male or female, young or, it seems, old. One of the most famous and difficult stories of an actor playing Hamlet is that of Daniel Day-Lewis. He took on the role very soon after the death of his father, Cecil Day-Lewis, and given the probity and deep investment for which he is rightly famous, the part was a staggering mountain for him to climb in that period of such grief. It proved too much for him, and he withdrew from the production after suffering a breakdown. He has never performed on stage since. Years later, he put paid to rumours that he had seen the actual ghost of his father in the wings. He explained that it wasn't a literal ghost, so much as the continued metaphorical connection between a son and his lost father. As he put it, a very vivid, almost hallucinatory moment in which I was engaged in a dialogue with my father, but that wasn't the reason I had to leave the stage. I had to leave the stage because I was an empty vessel. I had nothing in me, nothing to say, nothing to give. He was replaced by his understudy, Jeremy Northam, who went on to become a movie star himself. And, as you've surely seen in so many stories related to how theatre productions are struggling right now, understudies and swings are the beating heart of the performing arts. 
Soon afterwards, the part went to Ian Charlson, who sadly died just a few weeks after completing the run. Charlson's Hamlet was heaped with praise. Some called it definitive, and no less than Ian McKellen called it perfect, as though he had been preparing for it all his life. The year after Charlson died, the theatre community rallied together and inaugurated the Ian Charlson Award, given annually to young performers for exceptional work. A very fitting tribute to a very sweet prince. Hamlet is the Mount Everest of parts, and of course only a lucky few actors ever get to play him and scale those heights. The much-missed Anthony Sher once explained that he had never played the part because he never thought he had the right look for it. Back when he was a traditional age to play the role, Hamlets were considered tall and thin and blonde. But had Sir Anthony played Hamlet, he might never have created the astonishing Richard III, so perhaps we all gained something from his choice to stay away. There are doubtless several could-haves and would-haves out there. I would someday love to see or hear Fiona Shaw play the part. And of course, I'll always regret not getting to see more of Ninagawa's productions. That said, I got to see four of the eight that he created, so I'm doing better than most. And of course, if you'd like to read more about them, you can find them in my book. Hamlet is the only play by Shakespeare that includes an acting lesson. Rather beautifully, it is Hamlet himself that gives that famous advice to the players. Small wonder that so often it is the actor playing Hamlet that leads and even directs a production. A whirlwind of passion, or pitiful ambition, a mirror up to nature, the very age and body of the time. It's a play full of exciting scenes, terrific drama, beautiful poetry and brilliant opportunities for a company of players. But above all, it's the longest and the best part that Shakespeare ever wrote for an actor. <laughs>